Alrighty, good morning, everyone. Happy to see everybody here. Uh, if you are visiting, welcome to Calvary Chapel Mountain View and uh, about to be Happy New Year, but we'll say it anyways. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, so today uh, I have a message from Matthew, the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 22, uh, verses 34 through 40. Um, before we do that, we're going to pray as you're all uh, turning and getting ready and uh, we'll start my three and a half hour message on uh, <laughs> Father we do thank you Lord that uh, we can dig into your word Lord that you reveal to us Lord what you would have to say to us Lord that nothing is hidden uh, from us that uh, is in your word Father that you love us so you care about us so much that you want us to be in a relationship with you and you want us uh, to live well. In your name, amen. All right, so Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Um, we're talking about the first and greatest commandment and the second one, which is just like it today. Um, now, we're approaching the new year. Uh, we are one day away in counting. Um, and uh, I felt like and I prayed really about what am I going to share? What am I going to teach today? Um, kind of had some advance notice noting that uh, Pastor Bill was going to be out, out today. So I kind of asked myself one question, you know, what do I want to leave with you as we begin the new year? What is just this one thing I can leave with you guys as we start this new adventure into 2024? What is it going to be like? What are we, what are we really uh, need to focus on? And it really came down to one word, and the word is love. The word is love, and we're going to talk about love. As we read this text today, the primary focus is on love. Love for God, totally. And love for others, totally, completely. You know, it's been said that love is the greatest motivation, the highest motivation someone can have is the motivation to love, the love of a father, the love a parent has for their child, the love a child has for their parent, their spouse as well. Um, we could go on and on and on. The highest argument for why something can be done. And we know, actually, this is true, and Scripture actually bears this out. We read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. He loved the world so much that he wanted to send his only son to die for us on the cross out of love, motivated by love for us. You know, and, and popular culture has a lot to say about love as well. If you don't already know, there are endless songs about love. There's genres that are basically called love songs. You can find an Apple Music playlist, and I'm sure there's one that's all about love, right? You know, the Beatles wrote a song, All You Need Is Love, right? And love is all you need. There are so much, there's so much about it. And in this new year, I find it more important and more important to define what love is. But not just what love is, period, but what love is as a Christian, what does love look like in the Christian life? How are we as Christians supposed to love? How does our love differ from the world's love? The world has so many different thoughts on it. Culture has so many different ideas. There's so many philosophies on love. 
All you have to do is just have some friends. And I'm sure you've heard all kinds of different ways to love, right? All you need to do is just love yourself more. Love yourself more. That's the key. I don't have a problem with that. I love myself too much. <laughs> if you have kids, and I'm just beginning that part, uh, you will find out. <laughs> you will find out real quick. Or, you know, if you really love that person, you should move in with them. Test it out. Feel it out. See if you guys are compatible, right? Just throwing it out there. That does not work out. <laughs> now, love is a part of who we are as Christians. We should love. But like I was saying, the love that someone has for a person, a man or a woman, is different and ought to be different than the love a Christian with the Holy Spirit residing within them for that same person. The love a Christian has for someone is totally different. It ought to be totally different, wildly different, world-changing different. But loving isn't an easy task. It's hard. Love costs things. It's not free. Definitely not. I'm not talking about just uh, money for date nights and presents and uh, all of those kinds of things. But love, loving someone can mean that you're opening yourself up to be hurt. You're being vulnerable, right? That is most definitely a cost. I can think of proposing to my wife, worrying and stressing out about what she would say, and then proposing and then when she didn't answer right away, felt like I was going to die. <laughs> Hours are going by in my mind. It's only been a few seconds, right? That's how it goes with love. Well, you're being vulnerable, right? You're being honest. You can also spend all night awake with worry about someone you love. Wondering, what did they mean when they said goodbye last night? Did they mean goodbye forever? Or were they just saying, hey, we had a good time, goodbye, I'll see, you, I'll see you tomorrow, right? Was there a tone? Oh my gosh, they said goodbye, but they said it a different way than they usually say it. Oh, I can't sleep. I might as well be on Instagram all night. Or, oh, you know what? It must have been the food I made. Oh, they were so polite. They said they loved it, but in reality, it killed them. <laughs> Love can do some silly things, right? Now, if you don't already know, my wife and I, uh, we started fostering. And uh, we're newly, newly foster parents, very brand new. We've had ours, our little girl, for about a little over two weeks now. And I will, both, I will definitely tell you, we absolutely love her, um, 100%. Uh, we think about her all the time. And we are filled with a love for her that we had never known before we had started fostering. It's, it's hard to describe um, if, you've never, if you have never been a parent or never had children yourself. Um, but live life long enough, and you will start finding out that loving someone costs something. But it's so worth it. It is so worth it. So we're going to take a look at the author of love, the one who created it, the one whose love is rich and pure and deep, and wide for all. But let's hear what uh, Christian apologist C.S. Lewis says about love. He kind of says what I have been saying. He says this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. 
love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. With all those pet dads and pet moms out there. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. And avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a safe, in a casket or a coffin or, or your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless and airless, it will change. It won't be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The pl only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. C.S. Lewis, those are some strong words, but very true words, if we're being honest. So let's read. We're going to jump right into our text. So Matthew 22, the first two verses, 34 through 36. Um, here we go. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Which is the great commandment of the law? So there's this dialogue going on in this chapter, and actually in a few other chapters as well, if, you, uh, if you're paying attention um, throughout that little kind of dialogues that have been going on here. The Pharisees and Sadducees were part of Judaism, right? They're religious sects, kind of like how we have political parties. They had their own little parties as well. Now, each of these sects, uh, little political parties, um, religious parties, I should say, um, they each asked Jesus a question in an attempt to stumble him. They think they're pretty smart, they think pretty knowledgeable. They're like, well, if this guy's a rabbi and this guy's Jesus, and he apparently he's the Messiah, well, let's try to stump him with all these questions we have. Uh, the Pharisees asked Jesus about taxes, and Jesus answers rightly and answers truthfully and answers in a way that they obviously did not expect. The Sadducees, they asked Jesus about the resurrection, which the Sadducees actually deny. They deny that there is a bodily resurrection. They deny resurrection, period. Now, he answers all of these objections one by one by one by one. It's like this line of questions people are having. If you ever watch those uh, YouTube videos when there's like an open forum, when people are just walking up with the microphone, it's kind of like what this is going on. Everyone's just taking, taking a shot at Jesus, and he's answering them and, and knocking them all down one by one by one. So we come to our text today, and again, Someone's asking Jesus a question. Jesus answers this question. But this time, it's about the entirety of the law. And Jesus answers this question with the word, with scripture. And in like manner, we should do so as well. When someone asks us a question, right? We can think of methods and methodologies and all kinds of things like that. But God's word is powerful, right? Living and active. Now, Jesus addresses all of these parties with uh, all, the, all these answers and all these questions that they go, and they, they kind of gather together the Pharisees, this one specific party, and they scheme together. They're like, okay, guys, uh, that was our best question, and he killed that. Um, what else do we have? So a lawyer shows up. 
this feels like a joke um, coming up right now. <laughs> so a lawyer shows up <laughs> and then asks Jesus a question. Um, so the scribes, or this lawyer, right, the scribes, their entire job was to copy down uh, the word, copy down God's word. That's all they did is copy it and copy it and copy it. And they interpreted the law. So he's an, obviously he's a lawyer, so that's part of his job. So his whole job is this. So when he asks Jesus this question, which is the greatest commandment of the law, he's almost asking like a question off LinkedIn, like this is my job, this is kind of like, hey, I need to understand this, I want to, you know, I want to help people, I need to understand how I'm doing this. So he asks Jesus this question, and it's such a relevant question and an important question. Uh, we'll find out his answer very shortly. And it seems kind of straightforward. But remember that the law composed of many, many statutes, not just the Ten Commandments, but there was so much more there as well. Additional statutes that rabbis came up with, all kinds of burdens that they placed on the people. So to make it easier, at the time, they divided these commandments between heavy and light. Uh, commandments that were easy, that were trivial, maybe not as like big of a deal. If you break it, okay, you break it, all right. Um, but then the serious stuff, well, okay, you definitely shouldn't do that, right, to make it a little easier. But we read in, in, the, in the Word, we read on James 2.10, but whoever uh, shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Because if you break the law, you're a lawbreaker. And if you break God's law, you are guilty. But thankfully, as we put our faith in Christ Jesus, we no longer stand guilty before Jesus. We stand redeemed and we stand innocent because of the blood of Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are thankful for that. Truly thankful. We're not under the law, we're under grace. Now back to that question, these guys are under the law, they're all about it, right? The scribe is asking Jesus, out of all of these, all of these commandments, all these statutes, all of these things, that we have been told about the law, which of these is the greatest? It's this huge question of ethics. And it could stumble anyone, all of the experts of the law, but Jesus knows the minds of man and the hearts of man. He knows the questioner behind the question. He knows their heart and their very mind. And so when he's going to answer, he's going to answer with that knowledge. He's going to answer in such a way that I think that there's so much so valuable for us, even in this age and in this new year. So let's read Jesus' answer in verses 37 through 38 and see what he says. All right. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So Jesus quotes scripture. He points them back to the law itself, what they were trying to figure out. He's like, whoa, didn't you read that? Okay, well, let's go back here and let me point to you what the most important, the first and greatest commandment is. He points them back to the source of the law, which is himself. He points them to himself. You know, we can become 
uh, captivated, immersed uh, with clever arguments, with very well-reasoned, logical, straightforward methods in how to answer a given question that someone may have about the Lord or about the Bible or about creation. We could go on and on and on and on and on. I've been to those conferences. I've read those books. Um, but I'll tell you, it's more important to learn how to reason by Scripture than through methods and methodologies. Well, they are helpful. The foundation is God's word. That is where we reason from. And that is where our, that our source is. Now, there's that one Phil Wilkins song. I don't know if you guys have heard it yet. It's called The Jesus Way. He just says, I choose the Jesus way. He says it over and over again in the chorus. And that is what we're choosing. We want to choose the Jesus way. We want to follow the way and the method that Jesus used. What did he use? He used scripture. He used God's word. He points to scripture. But what exactly is he pointing to here? It seems like, I don't know if you guys see it in your Bible, it's all in italicized. It looks a little different. It's, um, maybe it's got red words, red letters, if you guys have red letter Bibles. Um, you're like, okay, well, where does this come from? Well, this comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. And this little portion of Scripture is actually called the Shema. And the Shema comes from the Hebrew word meaning to hear. Now, Jews would recite this prayer daily. And it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The prayer starts with hear. Listen to what is being said. Listen, really listen. You know, put the phone away. Really listen, right? Pay attention to these words. The Shema is basically the doxology of Judaism, the creed of Judaism, essential to Judaism. And it's recited often and in the synagogues, even back then. On an interesting note, um, I'm sure Dr. Vernon would, men would uh, mention this as well. The name God in the Shema is the Hebrew name, name Elohim, which is in the plural sense and it reflects the, Trinita the Trinity. So if someone's like, hey, I don't know about the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, we could say, well, it's all the way back in the Old Testament as well. We can confirm it um, basic, uh, with basic uh, Hebrew. <laughs> Let me just read that. Get up your Hebrew dictionary and... Uh, or a concordance, and you will find out that that is, in fact, the truth. Just throwing that out there, a little tidbit. Um, now, the Shema follows with a command to love, to love God. We are to involve our hearts, our souls, and our minds, and our strength, right? Well, what does that even mean? How can I love God that way? How? How, how do I love God with my mind? How do I love God with my soul? How do I love God with all of those things, with my heart even? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> we love the Lord, right? We love the Lord with, with all that we are. All that we are. Everything. The entirety of who you are as a person. It involves all of you, right? We don't love him because of duty or works, right? That's not how we love the Lord. It's nothing less than the love we return in kind because he first loved us, right? We love him because we want to. We do these things because we want to do them. 
We serve because we want to and we know that it pleases him. That's a different kind of love. Now, the word heart here refers to the inner person. The inner person. And soul, the word soul refers to life itself. Now, the words, those two words can kind of be used interchangeably in this context because they mean similar things. But to love God with your heart is to love God with your life and who you really are. Who you really are, your whole self, the total package, all that you are, all that you are, Chris, everything that you are, all that you're about. Now, the Apostle John um, who wrote the book John and First John and all the other Johns. He's the son of Zebedee. He's the brother of James. He's one of the so-called sons of thunder. He was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Lots of names for John. Tons of names for John. Now, he called himself, and he was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he says this, We love him because he first loved us. God's love for us comes first, right? We, we saved us by grace through faith. And he declared his love for us on the cross. So when we love him with our whole heart, we are loving him with all that we are. Our inner self is who we are totally. And in its soul, to mean life itself, you love the Lord at work, in the car, while you're burping your baby, while you're changing diapers, while you're watching TV, while you're coloring, while you work, and you go on and on and on, washing dishes. You're loving the Lord, always. Your life is a love letter to God. Now, it's interesting, too, that the Shema was recited daily. Why is that? We need to be reminded daily, right? What, am I, what area of my life am I not giving up to the Lord? What have I, how am I not showing love for God in this area? Am I being too selfish in this? Have I let sin in? Have I let too much of my flesh in this? That is a very sobering question to ask yourself, but it's a very good question to ask yourself at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, middle of the day, all day. <laughs> where is my heart? Where, is, where am I, Lord? Where, what, am I, what part of me have I not given up to you? Now, he says in the Shema to love the Lord with all of your mind. How do you love God with your mind? The word mind here refers to the seat of thinking, where your ability to think and comprehend resides. Well, how do you love God with your mind? How do you love God with your mind? Well, you can start by reading God's word, memorizing it, I would say even memorizing worship songs, listening to worship songs. Because the way I think of mind is I'm also thinking of thoughts, right? Our thought life. You know, what are we thinking of? You know, what are we, what are we wondering about? What is going on in our thoughts while we're sleeping, while we're working, while we're doing our thing day to day to day? When our, when our friends or coworkers are being tough, where does my mind go? How can I love the Lord with my mind when people are being difficult, right? Think about that. Memorizing God's word and memorizing worship, even listening to worship songs, having that playing, or even any kind of thing like that, listening to dwell. We have our audio Bible. It's super helpful. Um, 
we found a great playlist on Spotify for, uh, for little ones called Scripture Lullabies. At first, I was like, I don't know about this. Um, but we started listening to it, and I was like, now I just can't help but start singing the songs. Um, and it's scripture-based, right? And But it's really peaceful, and it's lullaby, so you're just like, all oh, right, okay. You know, so now I go to sleep that, to it, too. So it's like a whole family household thing now. <laughs> highly recommended, highly recommended if you want to check it out. Scripture lullabies, it works, it works. It's weird, but it works. Now, when you're memorizing worship songs and you're keeping those worship and you're keeping the Lord in your mind, you'll find that when people start talking about certain things, you might just trigger a worship song playlist in your head, right? I don't know if you guys are familiar with the song Big House by Audio Adrenaline, but uh, those of us who grew up in youth group heard that song all the time. And every time you hear something about a house, you think of a big, big house. You just, yes, it's endless. It'll, it'll never stop. The song will never die. But when you, read, when you memorize scripture, that is a huge resource. That is how you can love God with your mind as well. You can lean on it in your daily life. When you're counseling someone, those scripture, those words will will come up in your mind. That's the Holy Spirit reminding you of God's truth and how to counsel somebody. And not even just for someone else, for yourself. Right? I find that when I'm struggling with depression or I'm struggling with uh, all kinds of thoughts about my flesh and all kinds of things like that, that when scripture, scripture will just come to mind or a worship song, which is usually based on scripture, right? And that'll minister to myself. Now, as, as far as loving the Lord with your mind, also, you know, as a pastor, and when I first got ordained uh, many years ago, uh, I was always told to be ready to preach at all times, to be ready. Anytime, just be ready to do it. Just be ready to go. Because sometimes the senior pastor's out on vacation, and you have to be ready to go, or someone's sick, right? So you got to be ready. you got to be ready. So it helps to memorize it helps to be about the word it helps to review things and go you know i read the bible once i'm going to read it again or i'm going to read proverbs over every day for a whole month there's 31 right 31 days in a month you could read proverbs every day now if you're like me memorizing anything can be daunting because i was not a good student all of school my career as a student was not a hall of fame career Okay, I was not going to win an award as a student in any way at all. Um, so any kind of school kind of things, any kind of memorizing stuff, re resembling any kind of schoolwork would always feel very daunting to me. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know if I can do this. But the good thing about memorizing scripture is while well, you can't just sit down and be like very ordered, very methodical about it. And some of us are like that. Um, you can also just read it, listen to it, and it will saturate your mind. It'll, it'll help you memorize it. You'll become more and more familiar with the words, you know. You'll, you'll become more and more familiar. Then you'll want to know, well, where is this Bible verse from? And then you can start memorizing that. But little by little... Um, you'll start to memorize it. So be about the word. Be in it. Listen to it. That'll help you love the Lord with your mind. And God has created your mind. 
your ability to think, your ability to understand, your ability to even create are all evidences of his design and his love for you is all wrapped up in that. You know, we can love God with our mind by learning how to reason from Scripture. It's helpful to understand how people answer common arguments about, the God, about God and about the Lord, about the Bible. Uh, with the youth, we've been going through apologetics a lot lately. So if you have questions and you're curious about how you do that and uh, what resources I've used to help them or anything, anything further, you can ask me and I'll definitely point you to some great websites, some great uh, resources for that. But that's how you can love God with your mind. You don't have to be an expert who goes in front of Harvard students debating a renowned atheist on the existence of God, but it's helpful to understand how you can explain your faith to somebody who doesn't believe it. Maybe he's curious about it, right? That's how you can love God with your mind as well. Now, all of these different kinds of loves, all of these different kinds of things that I was talking about, um, loving God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, they spread from you. They emanate from you. you ca it can't be helped. If you're loving God with your heart, soul, and mind, it cannot help but spread and out of you and pour out of you. And that is where we're going to be next. We're going to learn and see what, how Jesus talks about another commandment, which is like that first commandment. And it still has a lot to do with love. So in verse 39 and 40, as we're closing, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amazing. Love for God, totally. Love for others, totally. That is what God, that is what Jesus wants us to do. That's what life is all about. Now, so Jesus is talking about how we love God in the first commandment, right? How do we love God with our heart, soul, and mind, and the strength, right? All of these kinds of things. Now, just when you think he's finished answering the question, I'm sure the scribe was like, oh, great point. And then Jesus adds another, another dimension to that question, another uh, dimension to that answer, another aspect of love. Now, that last commandment, he says the second is like it, like that first one. To love God entirely with who you are and to love your neighbor as yourself are linked. They cannot be separated. They are totally together. And it makes sense, right? Think of this. When you're loving God, your cup is being filled and filled and filled. And it can't help but spill out in how you love other people. So in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find out one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. How funny, right? But it's so true, right? Someone's like, I really don't like this person. Well, God wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. 
behave as if you love them. Act loving towards them. And in fact, you will learn to love them. It's true. People that you have trouble loving, behave, behave as if you do, and you soon you'll find out you can do that. Now, loving people who are difficult, because we're not talking about everybody that's easy, right? It's easy to love a little baby who just smiles and, ah, and coos and stuff, and you don't have to go home to it when it's not tired, when it's tired and crying and hungry and all that, right? But when you're dealing with difficult people, that's kind of the trouble there, right? That's the kind of difficult part of that, right? There's a reason that Jesus calls this out, because he calls it out in the Gospels. In Luke 6, 27 through 36, Jesus calls Christians to love your enemies in addition to your neighbor, right? Loving your enemies. The love a Christian has for another, even if they're not a Christian, should be remarkable, it should be something to wonder at, something that draws questions out, like how is it and why is it you do that? Like why are you, that, there's obviously no, there's nothing that to be gained here, right? Because I think that the world will look at something as a transaction, right? I give you this, you give me this, right? Well, when there's something that you're not getting in return, it's kind of like, huh? <laughs> What, what, why, did you, why did you do that? That makes no sense. To love your neighbor as yourself is to love them as you would someone more than family. You treat them well, more than well. They're hungry, you give them food, right? They're, they're cold, you give them a sweater, right? Uh, a pastor friend we know, I remember he, um, he told me that he was at a Starbucks one day and uh, a homeless man was just there, and he was just like, I just, I want I need a shirt. Like, he's like, I need a shirt. I'm cold. And uh, he was like, all right. So he just took off his shirt, and he just gave him a shirt, like, right in the middle of Starbucks and stuff. So I was like, well, how'd you get in the store? He's like, I had to go back home and <laughs> figure it all out and look, for, look in the car for a sweater. But that, to me, exemplifies loving your neighbor as yourself. It's something that's like, it's almost silly, right? It's like, what? Like, how do, you, how do you do that? How did you do that? The Holy Spirit empowers you and strengthens you and gives you that boldness to do those kinds of things. Because those kinds of things will shock. People will tell stories about that. Like, did you see that? Like, what is that? What happened? Why would they do that, right? You make sure those people are fed, right? You make sure your neighbor is fed. You make sure that they are loved, that they're cared for, that people are asking about them. You're asking about your neighbor, like, hey, how's it going? How was Christmas? Or how was Thanksgiving? How was, how's everything going? Is there anything you need help with? Oh, do you want me to watch your baby? Or do you want me to do this? Or, you know, that is being neighborly, right? Now, there's a book uh, by Rosaria Butterfield. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Highly recommend it. It's, it's fantastic. Um, she writes that good neighboring is at the heart of the gospel we know. Good neighboring is at the heart of the gospel we know. Now see, the author, Rosaria Butterfield, was this radical feminist lesbian who repented and converted to Christianity solely due to the fact that her Christian neighbors invited her and her girlfriend over for dinner. And they did it all the time. So much so that she started asking questions and, and wondering about this Christian faith that they had lived out and that they were showing her um, that she can totally converted and totally uh, changed her life. All because someone opened their door and let them in, 
and gave him something to eat. So simple, right? Nothing, nothing really complicated there. Uh, my father-in-law has a homeless ministry, and it's, it's tremendous what they do. I mean, they give haircuts, food, clothes, you know, they raffle out stuff. But it, it's relatively simple, right? There's nothing complex going on right there. But those people, I guarantee you, feel loved. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The key to loving your neighbor is being neighborly for the glory of God, right? Saying, seeing your neighbor walk into the laundromat, going with the, keeping their clothes over. Oh, let me help you with that. There's so much thing, there's so much that we can do to love our neighbor as ourselves that I think that we kind of know, but like um, it's just not there, right? We're, we haven't moved on it or acted on it. You may be that person right now who's like, I know how I can minister to this person. Um, I just needed to hear it, right? Um, and I've been that way before too. And, you know, it can be kind of uh, scary at times to kind of go like, we've been living here for like, 10 years and I see that person but I don't know if I've ever talked to them I'm kind of afraid to talk to them but maybe I should and you know all for the glory of God just go hey how's it going you know start a conversation if you need help call me up let's go let's do it now you can invite them into church right invite them into a community be Christian at home with people around be Christian at home when there's neighbors, when people are over at your house or your apartment. You know, I think that sometimes that we can be kind of afraid to be Christian when there's people in our house or our apartment who aren't, right? We kind of like tone down, right? We're like, normally I pray around this time, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that. Or normally we do this. Or, normally I pray before we eat, but there's a lot of people around and I don't want to you know ruffle a feather or anything like that go ahead and do that be bold be bold because that's the kind of stuff that changes people's lives they see how you live your life that is itself loving your neighbor as yourself you're they will see that you are authentic that you're real right don't hide who you are don't hide what God has done in your life be authentic, be real, be honest, be open about that. Part of loving is being vulnerable, right? And being vulnerable can sometimes hurt, but it can be incredibly impactful. Incredibly impactful for the glory of God. Totally. So pray out loud for a meal. Talk about what God's showing you. Talk about how God has changed your life. Ask them how you can pray for them. If I could leave you with one word of advice, that is what I would say. Ask them how I, you can pray for them. I can't tell you how many times I have done that with someone at work, anywhere, and they've just vomited all of their stuff right out. And we were just sitting down and just across from my cubicle and coworker and just every day for about a year now and just like hey how's it going let me tell you like you know and then we started praying in, in the in the cubicles with everybody around and stuff because who cares right and it's all for the lord so we were praying together but i gotta tell you that um that is a huge 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 aspect of loving the lord right 
Um, that is how you can love your neighbor as yourself, right? Being vulnerable. Take a chance. Be bold for him. It'll, it'll be better than you think, but hard, <laughs> but better. <laughs> now, if you love the Lord with all you are, you will find that you can love your neighbors as yourself. Now, as I'm closing, um, just the words to leave you get with you guys, that you'll find that the Holy Spirit is there to guide you. You're not alone, not at all. When you're loving God, when you're loving your neighbor as yourself, he will equip you. So be in his word, be in prayer. We have this wonderful church here of saints and just everybody here that just loves so much. We have felt loved in so many ways. And, I, and we want to share that with all of you guys. And we want to encourage you in your walk with Christ that you don't have to do it alone. And uh, we want to be there for you. So uh, I am closing. So we're going to pray. And worship team is going to come up. Because I am not Pastor Bill. So this isn't a two-hour message. All right. Lord Jesus, we are, are so thankful for you. Grateful for your word. Lord, that you love us. It's, it's almost indescribable. It's hard to describe for me uh, how much I love you and how much it means to me that you love me, Lord. How much it means to me that you love all of us. While we fail, we make mistakes, and yet you forgive us. And Father, I pray that you help us to love better, to love well, Lord, to love you with all of our heart, our soul, and our minds, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, give us the strength, give us the wisdom, give us the boldness to do so in your name.